tonight. And uh, this has been on Kathy's heart and my heart um, three months ago. And I like to start something new at the first of the year. Just leave that open, please. So what I want to do, let me give you the purpose. I'm going to give you a lot of information. I'm going to read to you some things tonight. And uh, so don't, you know, if you want to take notes, that's fine. If, if, if I say something that, that jars you, then by all means write it down. Um, but this is our purpose. This is why we're meeting and why we're going to meet once a month. The women are going to meet once a month. Is number one is discover God's original plan and purpose for true manhood. See, that's manhood right up there. Uh, Abe's the one on the right. But I want to challenge you as men of God to become the fathers, the husbands, the mentors, and the leaders that you've been destined to be. We're all works in progress. We're all at different levels, but we all need to aspire to become greater men of God. Okay? <clears throat> Dr. Miles Monroe, he said, culture, said this, culture and the erosion of what a true godly man looks and acts like have left this current generation feeling fatherless. It is the biggest issue facing us both in the church and the world. Without role models and guidance, how are our young men going to find their way? God created man to lead, and it is the number one diabolical scheme of the enemy to crumble nations, families, churches, and homes. How does he do that? Removing the man. Now listen to these statistics. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths sitting in prisons grew up in a fatherless home. And it's not getting any better. Now, I look at some of us tonight. Some of us have been blessed to grow up with good fathers. Okay? How many of you had? I, I got great memories of good all do, okay? But a lot of young men today do not have fathers. Now, I'm going to, to read to you. This is, <clears throat> other than the Bible, this is the finest book I have ever read. Little paperback book. And let me tell you how I got this book. Uh, Pastor Brad and I had gone to Michigan to uh, see Dr. Gant, and there were some meetings out there. I've told you this story, but it was such a supernatural thing. We were coming back on the airplane, and they seated me clear in the back against the wall of the bathroom. Brad, I don't know where he was at, but we weren't sitting together. But I was clear to the back, so I had all the confusion 
And I'm, I just bought this book. I picked it up there at that church. And I was reading this, and I, I was, I'd gotten to page 19. What's this say? The need for balance. The need for balance. And I'm reading that, thinking, the need for balance. And the stewardess comes, and she looks at me, and she says, the captain said, you need to move to first class because of balance. Now, my lightning fast mind realized that God was speaking to me. That's why this book, David Ravenhill's the son of Leonard, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, a great Christian author. And this is his son, and he wrote this book, and it's entitled, For God's Sake, Grow Up. And I've devoured this book, and sometimes I reread it again. The need for balance. And so I moved to first class where she asked if I wanted to drink. I got a pop, but I, was, I felt pretty good about myself, sitting in first class, but, you know, I, I wasn't gloating over that. I knew that God was speaking to me about the need for balance, okay? So now I, I want to go ahead and, and uh, let me make this statement. The church, the church gets in a ditch many times, finances. They get into their programs. They get, they get to thinking, well, we need to do this. One church will do something, then another church will do it. You know, we've seen that through the years. We, we, we'll do something at Harvest Church, and pretty soon, a year or two later, another church is trying to do the same thing. And there's a need, need for balance. And, and uh, like he says, every, the church gets caught up in the parts instead of seeing the big picture. And we as men, we need to have balance in our lives. There needs, and it's hard to maintain balance when both spouses work and you got big families, you got financial responsibilities, you got a mortgage to pay, but there needs to be balance. And I'll tell you what, men, we need to be the ones to bring balance to our households. All right? Too many believers, believers are ignorant of the whole purpose of God when it comes to manhood and the responsibilities that are involved with that. God the Father expects you and I as men to grow up spiritually and fulfill our roles as husbands and fathers. And if you didn't have the luxury or the blessing of growing up with a good father, then, then you've had to learn along the way. But it's our role, it's our responsibility to to mentor young man and, and you know, I, I get so blessed when, when, when um, what's your name, my son, Micah, he loves to shoot guns, but what blesses me the most is he likes to shoot guns with Brad, see, and so there's a connection there, and that's the way it should be in, in a local church. We as men should have an influence on the next generation, the young ones that are coming up. God the Father expects you and I as men to grow up spiritually and fulfill our roles as husbands and fathers. Now, if you're young and you don't, you're not a, a husband yet, you're not a father, then you, 
this is good for you because you're going to learn some things. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11 says, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Where are we in 2018, men? We're going to have to put away childish things. We're going to have to grow up. And yeah, maybe we, we have matured. Maybe last year you saw some spiritual growth. But I'll tell you, this is the year we need to, to do our best as husbands and fathers and as mentors and as leaders. We're, I'm not only going to be teaching on, on manhood and being a good husband and a good father, but really this all comes down to God created you and I to lead. We're called and ordained of God to lead. Now, I want to read this. In fact, if you have your Bibles, why don't you look at 1 <coughs> John. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. And look at verse 12. Here we see the spiritual state of three, three categories of people. Verse 12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, let me read to you. This is going to take a, take a few minutes, but I want you to just relax and I want you to listen to what, I, what, what Ravenhill wrote. He says, the church is now filled with believers who've begun in the faith. They can profess a saving knowledge of Christ, but they have ceased to grow. As a result, a spiritually stunted church has been plagued by immorality, carnality, worldliness, imbalance, lack of direction. Until the church grows out of spiritual infancy, such problems can only continue. He says, I believe God has appointed this hour for the church to take its rightful place. So if the church is going to take its rightful place, what's your rightful place? To be a, be a godly man. It's time to put our childish ways behind us, casting aside everything that would hinder our growth in God. The time has come to get down to the business of assuming the responsibilities of, a, of spiritual adulthood. Simply put, it's time to grow up. He says there's three, three stages in the life of the believer, which I just read to you from 1 John. We're not saved to stagnate. Conversion is not a goal. It is a gateway. We, we are to progress from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Three groups which represent three stages in the life of the believer are in men, are addressed in 1 John. Children who represent salvation, young men who represent mat maturation, and fathers who re represent consummation. The Christian life is meant to be progressive. Conversion is the starting place, not the stopping place. It's wonderful to know our sins are forgiven. 
It's fantastic to discover that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Nothing surpasses the reality of God's presence dwelling within us and of our becoming partakers of his divine nature. No wonder the writer of Hebrews calls this so great a salvation. Yet conversion is merely the beginning of the new life we're to experience in Christ. Pastor Braddon, we were talking about that before the service, and he's reading a book. And I've been reading a book, and you've read the book, but it talks about people get saved, but they don't go any farther. They just stay the way they are, and sin is not sin to them. They don't know what really what sin is. A spiritual child like a natural infant has many deficiencies. He lacks strength, wisdom, insight, and purpose. His world largely revolves around his own needs and desires. Okay, so we're talking about the first stage, which is child or being a a child. Only revolves around his own needs and desires. Are there men in the body of Christ only concerned about their own needs and own desires? Don't need to raise your hand. Others may spend vast amounts of time catering to his well-being, for he demands almost constant attention and protection. His ability to give is limited. His demands are limitless. A child's satisfaction, as Paul told the Corinthians, is derived from childish things. Tragically today, as in Paul's day, the church is overrun with spiritual children. Most of them content to live as babes, demanding constant pampering and attention, having little regard for the need of others, let alone the purposes of God. Most of us can recall the awkwardness of making the transition from childhood into adolescence in the human realm, bodies changing, minds expanding, relationships becoming more complex, responsibilities increasing, With so many personal changes taking place, those years can be some of the most difficult of our lives. But if we are ever to make the transition to the next stage in the spiritual realm, change. Everyone say change. Change as difficult and uncomfortable as it may seem will be part of that process. If we do not wish to remain children, we must be willing to let go of the old and embrace the new. We don't want to be a child anymore, do we? We don't want to be an adolescent anymore, do we? We want to be fathers. The next stage was young man. He says, next, John addresses the young man who've left behind their childishness. No longer satisfied with kid stuff, they realize there's more. Not content to remain immature, they hunger for the word of God. As the process of maturation Um, continues, they become strong, committed, and steadfast. Maturity is measured not by the absence of problems in our lives. Now listen to this. Maturity is measured not by the absence of problems in our lives, but how we handle them. As a man of God, how, how do you handle stress? How do you handle circumstances? Upon entering the second stage, believers become aware of the spiritual conflict in which they're engaged. Unlike young children who are largely spared from conflicts, young men and women must now rise up and conquer. They cannot be swayed by conflicts and circumstances. As a very wise woman once observed, so many of God's people are like thermometers, constantly changing depending on their environment. Others are like thermostats, constant and consistent regardless of their circumstances. Should we as man be like that? Mm -hmm. God is desirous that people rise above their circumstances and learn to live consistent, victorious lives in the strength that he alone supplies. Then the third stage, 
father's consummation. Having looked at children and young men, we now focus our attention upon the fathers. I've wondered, often wondered why John wrote so little about this particular category. He offers specific statements about children such as your sins are forgiven you and you have known the father. To the young man, he says, you've overcome the wicked one and you're strong and the word of God abides in you. But to the fathers, John says only, you have known him who is from the beginning. How does this differ from children who also have known the father? The child, because of his limited understanding, knows God simply as father. Having experienced his love, forgiveness, provision, protection, the child's happy and content to be showered with the father's attention. He thinks the father exists solely to satisfy his personal needs. Amen. And it's funny, I got your name right here on this, that you were a little child when, when I read this the first times. <laughs> I got Micah. When you're a little child, what are you concerned about? Your own personal needs. What then does God, what does John mean when he says that the fathers know him? I believe John is referring to a deep revelation and understanding of God. Just as a wife knows her husband in a greater capacity than their children know him, so the fathers know God with deeper intimacy and insight than do the spiritual children. Have you ever noticed that John uses the phrase from the beginning more than any other biblical writer? He opens his first epistle with what was from the beginning. 1 John 1.1. John introduces his gospel with, with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John begins the book of Revelation with him who is and who was and who is to come. Perhaps the key to understanding what John is saying regarding fathers lies therein. John sees God as both the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It is impossible to see things from God's perspective unless we know what was in his mind and purpose from the beginning. The fathers have experienced salvation and maturity, but they've also progressed to know and understand the mind of God regarding his purpose for their lives and for the church as it relates to his eternal plan, this is why I chose the word consummation to describe spiritual fathers. Succinctly put, consummation means completion or fulfillment. In other words, God sees the whole or the big picture, not just the parts. Only as we begin to understand what was in the mind of God from the beginning will we be able to recognize many of the perils of immaturity. And avoid the errors and shortcomings of the unbalanced teaching that has become so prevalent in the church today. Understanding what God had in mind from the beginning also helps us gain a clear perspective on current issues and situations. That's what we're going to be talking about for the, the next few months is what God, you know, expected. What God's purpose was in creating man. What is your purpose here on earth? In other words, God sees the whole, not just the parts. Understanding what God had in mind from the beginning also helps us gain a clear perspective on current issues and situations. For example, uh, and take an, inc an incident from the life of Christ. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what he thought about divorce, he did not spout the results of the latest opinion poll. Instead, he immediately began relating the issue to the purpose God, orig God originally had in mind. From the beginning, he said, 
It has not been this way. Jesus was spiritually mature. He understood the mind, ways, and purposes of his heavenly Father. In a day of situation, ethics, decaying morals, and no absolutes, we have a desperate need for fathers in the church. In a day of situation, ethics, decaying morals, and no absolutes, we have a desperate need for fathers in the church. Spiritually men, spiritually mature men and women, people who understand the mind and purpose of God as it pertains to his eternal plan, people who are not caught up in the cross-currents of popular trends, but who cry out for reality in their relationship with God, people who have found, having found the pearl of great price, are willing to give it give up all to own it. So that's what we're, we're seeking after here. It, when we come to get together in these meetings is, is to find out what, what is the ultimate purpose for our existence as men of God. He said, sandbox Christians are spiritual fathers. We do not become spiritual fathers overnight. Maturing takes time. Maturing requires adjusting to change. We all struggle, struggle with change no matter what our age because it's usually more comfortable to hang back and enjoy what's familiar. Amen? It's easier for young children to stay at home, play with their toys, and begin school and sit at a desk most of the day. In her beautiful book, In My Father's House, the beloved Corey Ten Boom recalls how her first day of school was marked by tears and tantrums as she mourned the loss of familiar routine and protested her lost freedoms. Quoting her, she says, My doll, Casparina, and I were going to have a party. Mama and Tante Anna were cooking, and I watched their long skirts bustle past me from my perch on the footstool beneath the table. This was a wonderful place to play, safe and secure. Beneath the red and black tablecloth, I clutched Casparina's three-fingered hand in mine and whispered, we'll just stay here in our own secret place. However, as Corey recalls, a time comes when all children, even a little Dutch girl with her jaw set and her black stocking legs rigid upon the staircase, must leave her father's house for a time. I'm not going to school. I know how to read. I can learn arithmetic from Papa, and Casparina needs me at home. There, that was settled. Of course you're not going to school alone, Corey. I'm going to walk with you. Papa bent over, his beard tickling the top of my head, and one by one loosened my fingers on the railing. With the release of each finger, I howled a bit louder. By the time Papa had my hand in his, he was almost dragging me down the street towards school. I thought my hand would break and that it would be impossible for me to go to school. It must have taken a great dignity for Papa with his immaculate suit and erect carriage to struggle past the homes and shops of his friends with a red-faced child announcing her objections to the entire world. I knew my father was not angry, but his will was law, and I had to obey. When we arrived at the school, I saw a little boy being carried into Master Robin's classroom in his father's arms. At least I was walking. He was crying lustily even louder than I was. He looked so ugly, I felt sorry for him. But what about me? I realized how I must look to others and stopped abruptly. Papa released my hand. My fingers weren't broken at all. Only my heart was slightly injured. However, when Papa kissed, my, kissed me gently on the cheek, he assured me that when school was over, he'd be waiting at home, and I knew I would find that blessed security I needed in the shelter of his arms. You and I can identify with little Corey because some of these same feelings surface when God enrolls us in his school of the Spirit. 
We tend to resist accepting new responsibilities and restrictions. This is too hard, hard, we grumble tearfully. It requires too much. Some of us long to return to the familiar backyard and play in the sandbox. But God's goal is not to raise a generation of sandbox Christians. It's fine for children to play and putter around in the sand, but, it's, but grown-ups who insist upon remaining at that level of maturity will never enjoy the satisfaction of being used by God. Their lives will be wasted on foolish, fruitless pleasures rather than fulfilling God's purpose in their generation. They will never experience the rich rewards promised to those who press toward maturity in God. Tying an incident later in life to her experience as a child on her first day of school, Corey tells how her heavenly father was also forced to loosen her fingers on the railing to prevent her from missing the greater blessings and purposes he had planned for her life. How many of you know who Corey Ten Boom was? I'd been traveling so much and was tired, tired of strange beds and different food, tired of dressing for breakfast, tired of new people, new experiences. I liked this very luxurious home with its large rooms, decided to stay and enjoy the comfortable life in Holland, although I knew that God didn't agree with my decision. Most of the furniture in the entire house was mine, but there was a room in particular which reminded me of the happy family life of my past. It was a room which held my tre treasures, photographs of those I loved, mementos of my family during the years before. Every picture was like the railing on the stairs. My hands grasped the past and tried to hold on, but my heavenly ha father's hands were stronger. My heavenly father spoke to me, only obey me, Corey. I'll hold your hand. It is my will that you leave your room. Later, you will thank me for this experience. You do not see it, but this is one of my great blessings for you. Father's hand was firm, and I knew his love. I packed my suitcase again and left for the United States. How the Lord blessed my time there. Meetings began to grow in size, and when I saw people come from darkness to light, from bondage to liberation, I began to see the pattern. I could praise my father that his hands were stronger than mine. The freedom and security of childhood can be wonderful. Cherished memories can be comforting, but the soul cannot be nourished for long on sweet memories. We cannot go on with God if we insist keeping one foot on the comfortable, secure ground of the past. We must be willing to release the past, place our hand in the strong, of our heavenly, strong hand of our Heavenly Father, and allow Him to enroll us in the school of the Spirit if we're ever to reach maturity and experience the fulfillment of his wonderful purpose. This church can't keep its foot on comfortable ground anymore. Your family can't keep your foot on comfortable ground anymore. And certainly as men of God, we cannot keep our foot on what's comfortable anymore. It's going to require a lot of us to stretch it's going to require a lot of us to make some changes in some things in our lives. Some of us are going to have to change some attitudes that we have, relationships that we have, you know, things that aren't necessarily evil in, a, in, a, in and of itself, but we're going to have to realize there's a greater priority, and that's serving him, especially in this hour. Can you say amen? Bottom line, we've got to let go of old, the old, and that's going to require some change. And I'm, I'm with you. 
Maybe you don't have a problem with change. I like my routine. I have a hard time. I don't like to change. The older you get, it's even easier <laughs> to stay where you're at. But we're going to have to let go of the old, and we're going to have to make some changes. We're going to rise above our circumstances. We're going to have to live consistent lives as men of God, take our place as husbands and fathers, and truly begin to understand God's purpose for our life. Now, what, what is a, uh, the definition of manhood? Okay? We're going to define manhood, I guess, to the best of our ability, but I wrote down this, this statement by Dr. Clarence Boyd, Jr. He says, a new generation of the male, male human has arrived with little or no realization of what manhood truly involves. All right? And I, wrote, I thought in the scripture in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, my people perish. I wrote it this way, where there's no revelation of manhood, families perish. And I'll, I'll clue, let me ask you this. How many of the, of the, the National Football League, how many of them are men? Now, don't make it harder than it is. All of them. But let me ask you this again. How many of them are really men? Good men godly men. I don't know the percent. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some good ones. There's some good ones. But the majority of them grew up in a fatherless home, self, you know, selfish, only concerned, you know. Look what the big controversy about kneeling and the, the whole thing. Manhood is the condition of being a human being, of course, qualities associated with man, manliness, the condition of being an adult male is distinguished from a child or a female. You read in Genesis 1 and verse 26 and through verse 128. Let me, you can turn there if you want to. I want to read this. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man's ability to sustain to sustain his role as delegated ruler of earth will rest in his continued obedience to God's rule as king of all. His power to reign in life or in this life will extend only as far as his faithfulness to obey God's law. How many of those NFL players are obedient? How many of them are rebelling against law? against the football league itself, against government, against God. Man, I wrote this quote down, man will assume that he has rulership of all things. If dominion is taken out of its original context, the result will always be abuse. When man fails to exercise authority over those things he was created to rule, 
He has abused his own role of leadership by not leading. He will experience frustration by attempting to control things he was never given authority over. How many frustrated men are out there? A man cannot assume he is mature just because he's a male. Everything male is not necessarily a man. Manhood is a complicated reality, but must be understood in its proper context. Men can only comprehend their identities and purposes from their creator. Boy, that's, that's, that's powerful. Men can only comprehend their identities and purposes from their creator. When men operate in their purposes, their identities are secure. However, when men abandon their created purposes, their identities are compromised. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the definition of manhood includes a distinction between what is male as opposed to what is female. In this sense, manhood, manhood can be understood by its comparison to what it is not. God's original purpose was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen? Men will never be able to comprehend their purposes if they're blinded to the original purpose for man. See, this is all leading up to something. Men will never be able to comprehend their purpose if they're blinded to the original purpose, God's purpose for man. So what is man's original purpose? It's very simple. It's to cover. Everyone say, to cover. Covering speaks to the responsibility to provide for those being covered while protecting those covered from external forces that would harm them. A man's search for his purpose is also his quest for his manhood. When a man discovers his purpose, he also realizes his manhood. The two are intimately attached. Any man confused about his purpose will also struggle with his identity and how to fulfill or represent authentic manhood. Society wants a man to think that he is still a man in spite of the fact that he may not represent authentic manhood. Now, I've got this highlighted. A man's purpose and identity come from his creator. And apart from this reality, every man will seek blindly after his purpose and question his own manhood. Let me say that once more. A man's purpose and identity come from his creator. And apart from this reality, every man will seek blindly after his own purpose and question his own manhood. So bottom line, guys, if, if we don't seek God's purpose for our life, and I don't care what age, where you're at in your life right now, we should always be seeking after His plans and His purpose. But if we don't do that, we're just going to be lost. God created everything to be covered, and I wrote this, everything to be covered, not controlled. God created everything to be covered, not controlled. How, how many of you know... Men sometimes they think have this idea they need to control everything. Every wife is to be covered by her husband. 
every child by his parents. The principal in the school, is he one that covers? Sure he is. CEO of a major corporation. Do I, do I provide a covering? Does a pastor? Sure. Okay. Sure. How about Donald Trump? Is he providing a covering? Yes, he is. See, no covering breeds chaos and confusion. Now, think about that in, with, with the family unit itself. If you've got a husband and a father that is not providing a covering for his family, what are you going to have? Chaos, confusion, strife, heartache. Whenever something lacks covering, it is exposed. It is vulnerable to attack. How many marriages have ended in divorce? How many marriages today are being attacked by the enemy? Yeah, that's right. If you as a man, if I as a man of God, if I'm not providing the proper covering, then our family is exposed to the enemy. Vulnerable to attack. A man who fails to realize his responsibility to cover will also misrepresent what it means to be a man. Is it any surprise today that men are absent in the home? They are absent because manhood has been compromised to the point that men no longer realize that authentic manhood is reflected by fatherhood. Well, that, I, that's really good. I got to read that again. I've gone over and over, but that really jumped out just now. A man who fails to realize his responsibility to cover will also mis misrepresent what it means to be a man. Is it any surprise today that men are absent in the home? They are absent because manhood has been compromised to the point that men no longer realize that authentic manhood is reflected by fatherhood. No man can provide for his family or protect them from a distance. Now, I realize tonight I'm speaking to men that understand what I'm saying. You're covering your home. You're, you're providing for your family. You're working hard. You're protecting them. You're trying to make a better life for your kids. You want to be a blessing to them. And that's a wonderful thing, but I, I, I got news for you. There are a lot of men out there in the world, but even in the church that aren't doing that. And though, now listen, those in the days ahead, we're going to see more men like that enter through those doors and sit here. And you're going to sit there and you'll think, oh, he's a, good, he's a brother in Christ, or I've known him, he's, he's been a Christian for a number of years. No, you don't know him. You don't know his heart. You don't know where he's come from. You don't know what he's doing, what's going on in his life. 
So we have, we have a responsibility in the days ahead because the world is sorely lacking for fathers, spiritual fathers. I, the last 10, 15 years of my life, I've taken not a lot, but quite a few young men, and some of them aren't even here today. And I can remember one young man. You remember Michael Tomlinson, the soldier that got out from Colorado, skinny kid? showed up here. Do you remember, Michael? I took him and prayed with him week after week. Pretty soon, he, you know, he, he was going to move and, and uh, he was going to go to Bible school. I think he, he went to Rhema. And I'll never forget, Kathy, your mom and I took Michael and took him to Penny's and bought him a suit because he didn't have any clothes. And I said, Michael, when you go down to Rhema, you're going to have to dress up. You know, he's in the ministry today. Yeah, that, that's, that is rewarding to see as, as you invest in the lives of young men. Now, I've done that before, and sometimes it works. I've walked the floor with some young man, and it hasn't worked. Does that mean I quit? No, you keep going. That's why you, you've got to do that. Brian, for years, how many young men have you taken, including my boys, when they were little, getting them out there to bow fish or getting them out to hunt, you know, you don't have to be a great biblical scholar, but you did something. You provided a service. You invested. And those, my boys are going to grow up with memories of going out with Brian. Going on a pig hunt with Brian. Micah can hardly wait. In a couple months, they're going on another pig hunt. See? It's just, it's investing in the lives of your family and, and those that God entrusts you to, to minister to. Now, let me, we'll close with this. Let me ask you this, que this question. I, I've done this for years when I counsel young couples that are going to get married because we've been talking about what, what, the, the, what is the purpose. Why was God, why did God create man to do what? To cover. So what are the roles of a husband and a father? What do you think some of the roles of a husband and father are? To provide. I have that down. Provide. What else? What? Lead. Leadership. Love. I got that down. Serve. Protect. How about give direction? See, as a man, you're the head of the household. As Christ is the head of the church, what's the head do with the rest of the body? Head gives direction, and the body follows the head. So that, that's then sorely lacking in, in Christian families today is men have not been leading. Men have not been providing direction for their family. You're to, to, to love. Now, th you said love, didn't you? We're to love our wife as our own body in Ephesians. But how can a man love his wife if he doesn't love himself? And how many men are out there, not only in the world, but in the church today, that do not love themselves? Think about that. Also, a role of a, uh, uh, of a husband and a father is to nourish or promote the growth of. In other words, men, your wife isn't always there to wait on you. And I've learned through the years, I, I've got a strong, I've been married to a strong woman for 36 years and I've just learned to let her do what she wants to do. But I want her to be happy. I want her to do some things that bring fulfillment to her. 
It's not always about the husband. It's not always about the father. It's not always about us as men. But how can we nourish our mate and, and so she can be happy? Then we're to cherish and show affection for our wives also. So that's just kind of a, I kind of scatter gun tonight, but I, I give you kind of a foundation. Now, the next meeting we're going to have is going to be a little different. It's going to be on a Sunday morning, and it's going to be men for men only. The women are going to go on the other side, and Ron Elm's going to talk to you. Yeah, it's going to be good. You know, do you think he's got any experience? <laughs> you think he's seen about it all? Yeah. And so he's going to minister to us as men on February 18th. So I encourage you, if there's guys here that, that aren't here tonight, I encourage them to get here on the, on the next meeting. We'll all come together and we'll worship and receive our offering. Then we'll separate and, and go from there. But I, I want you to um, do better this year. I want to do better this year. I want to grow as a husband and, and as a father, as a mentor, and as a leader. And that's the purpose. Father, tonight I thank you for what we've heard what we've received. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for dealing with all of our hearts as men of God. I pray, Lord, that we be challenged to become greater men of God, more effective leaders in our household, better husbands, better fathers, better leaders, better employees, better bosses. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you. This is January. I believe by the end of this year, Lord, we're going to be better men of God because we're not only hearing about it, but we're doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate.